Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you space burgers out there. A much-needed one, obviously. It's been a while since, um, or I guess it's been two weeks. Last week, the episode was strictly uh, for Patreon subscribers, so we talked a little bit, or I talked, solo, sharing some personal stories about uh, racial inequality, racism, uh, particularly relationships with black people and stories that pertain to that and um so perhaps you can use a big hug right about now and hopefully you're out there fighting the good fight perhaps you're um organizing maybe you're even out in the streets hopefully being safe about it and um you might be wondering like well why would you put it on patreon you need we that's a message that could be shared or should be shared no one's really um waiting to hear my offering on these type of things and my overall thinking on that was that you don't really need another white guy weighing in at this point and the only thing you need to be really hearing from white people is listen to black people go hear some stories sit in listen read familiarize yourself with history as much as you can um whether that's reading some james baldwin or uh or, or the documentary i'm not your negro uh 13th another great documentary by ava duvernay or duvernay there's just tons of stuff there are tons of things you can do to familiarize yourself a little bit and hopefully you do that between the world and me by ta-nehisi coates uh he's very um prolific and really identifies things and describes them well it kind of walks you through what the what the experience is like has been like and perhaps how we can improve it for everybody particularly black people and um so anyway listen to them and jane elliott an old white lady but she seems to have the respect of everybody including a large percentage of the black community they're like oh well she gets it she's an exception so she's spent a large percentage of her adult life uh commenting on these issues and trying to raise awareness and get white people to uh think differently question their education etc so check out some jane elliott stuff uh yeah and if if watch boys in the hood watch anything watch stuff that gives you a little bit of a glimpse into the experience the the the, the stories have been the same for decades um if you listen to old tupac lyrics they still resonate today nas mos def uh wu-tang clan and anyway get, get yourself invested in some hip-hop and i'm sure i i know that uh currently like people like Kend- kendrick lamar have a lot to say i'm not as familiar with him i'm i'm sort of a an old-timey uh hip-hop purist i guess one of the last concerts i went to before the uh, lockdown was diggable planets fantastic just great and and a pretty diverse crowd there and so this episode gets into that a little bit the ways that we can come together the ways that music helps and uh this my guest this week is uh, a musician based in brooklyn you'll hear all about this brought to you by penelope club 
who I recently chatted with. She was like, I think you'd like chatting with my friend Matt. He's a really prolific artist, really talented, really creative. So it's an interesting setting to talk in the midst of not only a pandemic, but ongoing protests that are happening, uh, of which he's taking part of. And uh, that kind of weighed against uh, what art can do, what it's meant to do, how it's inspired or inspiring, etc. So I hope you like it. I think it's worthwhile. I enjoyed it. And here's uh, my conversation with Matt Puckett. Okay. How about now? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we can give it a try, okay, cool. and then if it's um, <clears throat> if it gets squirrely, the thing that sucks about it is sometimes you know one person will be in the middle of talking about something, and then the person listening will be hearing like yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's kind of hard to it, like interrupt and be like whoa, whoa, whoa. The last ten seconds of what you said is uh, imperc- you know, not perceptible. So uh, yeah, yeah. hopefully that doesn't happen. I think um, we're pretty good right now, though. Yeah, just say it. Don't hesitate to let me know. And if we end up wanting to, like, reschedule it by a day, I, I'm over at uh, my girlfriend's house, and we're, like, going out from here to protest later. Cool. But I know that my house has better internet, so if this sucks and we want to push it by a day or whatever, I'll just reschedule and do it for my, my apartment. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Let's um, We'll push as far as we can today, and then if we think it sucks, we'll uh, or you need to go. <laughs> Is there a, um, are you guys excited to get out in the pro? Have you been protesting all week? Have you been out in the mix? Yeah, we've been doing like two days out, one day off. Mm -hmm. Um, I think our first day out was last Saturday. And so we did Saturday and Sunday and we were going to take Monday off and then we decided to go for it anyways. So we did kind of three in a row and then it was right around then where it felt like it started to become clear that this was going to be a longer term thing. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to put some forms in place to prevent burnout and just going really hard and getting too tired. So we're trying to be semi-diligent about setting aside time to recharge so that we can get back out there and, um, keep doing the work yeah good for you man that's impressive and uh you're like being in the front lines you hear a lot of people talking like uh so my partner she's uh immunocompromised so i we we have to be kind Mm -hmm. of uh there's like a a car based one we did one outside with like shining a light we we do these like stay at home sort of shows of solidarity that feel pretty weak and it's it's a frustrating period to not be able to like be out in the streets um yeah, but people on the outside are like, "How long is this going to go? What, what what's what's the end result? Is it all the way up until election day? You know, wh- when you're in the mix, mm-hmm. are people talking about that? A little bit. Um, I guess it's not at at the moment. You know, I feel like we're right in the in this time frame where it's been going on long enough that some people are starting to put together language articulating more specific goals you know something that's as broad as defund the police yeah like it's it's not as actionable as something a little more precise and i think people are starting to get involved and connect from with local politicians and people are trying to put together bills and different things that are gonna um yeah, be a little more actionable. Uh, but I think that, I don't know, there, there doesn't appear to be anything that's going to happen soon that would 
be a sufficient answer to the protest. So mm. in my mind, the only real date on the calendar that could really change things would be when uh, employment the federal unemployment runs out <laughs> like right now we're in this kind of strange magic perfect storm of you know positives and negatives and but it's, it's created a moment where you have a lot of people with disposable income and free time and the pandemic has disrupted it's kind of changed our our minds on the level of disruption that we can survive and get through. And I think yeah. it's also made people a lot more willing to say, okay, well, let's just enter into a protest era and we'll keep this going as long as we need to keep attention on the topic for something meaningful to really happen. Yeah. This maybe bringing up unemployment. I had, you know, like this, fear thought i try not to have too many of those we start playing out like mm-hmm. well here's a here's a way people could look at this or or you know uh, and one of those was like you know you have the people in power watching like oh so this is what people are choosing to do when they don't have to go to work well we're certainly mm-hmm. not going to do a second round of stimulus payments and then that scares me right. people are certainly waiting yeah. and hoping that that happens so there's there's risk there's skin in the game there's it's not like people are just mm-hmm. doing it like there's nothing at risk everyone doing that is definitely putting you know some of their their own livelihood at stake which is really impressive i think that you know in the past maybe there were things you could go you'd feel it almost where people like throw away their signs like okay we did that it didn't feel like it was i'm here risking something i'm i'm risking maybe being brutalized by the police and or getting arrested Mm -hmm. and that could jeopardize my Mm -hmm. work future should my work pick back up i'm doing this Mm -hmm. because i care about the well-being of so many other people in their future and the et cetera. Like it's impressive what you, what everyone's doing. Yeah. I really feel it. And, and on top of that, you know, there's still the COVID risk. I thought <laughs> yeah. the first day that we went out, we talked a lot about, is this the right thing to do? And for days we still weren't a hundred percent sure. And I wasn't really, we were being kind of choosy about who in our community we were telling we were going out mm-hmm. just cause you know, it it does increase the risk of a second wave. There's no there's no way to, to say that, and it feels like an impossible choice. And it was scary at first because there seemed no good answer. And then we decided that well, there are lives at stake either way, and this is just the kind of imperfect choice that we're going to make and we're going to do it. And then now that, that feeling and that fear and concern is kind of transformed into um, a really moving respect that I'm feeling for everybody that's out there probably had the same thought process and just decided, okay, yeah. I mean, I might get sick. Mm-hmm. Like we, we might get really sick, but it's still, this still needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, the, I it, it was I was at a place where I was like on the other side of a fence, and so I was in a, in a business, and a protest went by, and I was I just had that feeling of like I can get out there and get in the mix, and I watch, and mostly you know people are doing a good job of social distancing. There's a, there's a lot of mask usage, but then you start yeah. to see maybe a person not wearing a mask or it's pulled down below their nose or the more passionate the clusters of people were there were more chanting so you're putting more potential droplets out into the atmosphere where i was like i there's no way we could risk this and it was a real frustrating kind of acknowledgement to make there so i am yeah 
over the overly impressed with the people understood those risks and still went like is this more important even if i'm seriously ill uh or, or spread or create a second wave it, I, I, I do think it's worth it yeah i mean it's it's scary and I, and I do i think it's really important to keep in the conversation of respect and understanding for all sorts of different situations and reasons that people aren't on able to go out on the streets i mean the the reality is like there's nobody i'm in direct contact with that has any uh that is immunocompromised at all that is over 45 or 50 i mm -hmm. mean uh the the group that i that's like in my kind of uh corona bubble you know <laughs> like our little germosphere yeah it's just young healthy people that we're like okay this this is our job yeah but also at least for me i mean when we come home after this we're so exhausted that i don't have the mental capacity to update myself on some of the news items and some of the things that are going on in these other spheres so i do think it's really important to keep reminding everybody that protesting is i mean obviously i advocate for it and i'm excited about it but there are other things that need to be done that i don't have like we don't have the energy to do so like it's kind of a little bit of a division of labor in a way and i i'm really thankful to everybody who has been staying at home and has the energy to aggregate this information and mm -hmm. it's a big deal yeah it, it's really um what i love about black lives matter is that well i, I love and then there's also like this horrific backstory to like why there's no like central one figurehead they always get killed so now it's this really well organized operation that seems to just be the people it seems to be oh suddenly mm -hmm. something will show up in your inbox or it's suddenly there's something organized and you don't yeah. really know like it's not signed like the same one person over and over i like that that it's kind of everybody chipping in like hey we've put together this petition or this fundraising effort or we've organized here and etc so you're right no, yeah, absolutely people it's it's decentralized in a way that makes it at times feel unwieldy and confusing but i think particularly in this context it's helped it the movement be nimble and quick and feel really honest mm -hmm. when you're you know, out it's there never become just one person's soapbox yeah yeah when you're when you're out there and this is what i notice like in because they were around kind of near our neighborhood uh two or three days ago uh which was interesting you know like they would they're just kind of cruising all around central la and this i mean yeah. tens of thousands of people not just ten thousand like multiples mm -hmm. of ten it was so many people but the thing i noticed was it largely seemed to be like you were talking about briefly a moment ago the age dynamic was kind of like i would say 18 to 30 maybe 35 was was 95 percent of the group and it was yeah. so ethnically diverse it was really mm -hmm. impactful to see i'm like oh, all these other generations ahead of that have goofed it up so terribly and then look at here comes the youth and they get it they get along they're working together mm -hmm. it was rad it's really uplifting i love it and um i feel that walking out but uh, you know there's there's been a funny thing and i'm I would love to hear what the residents of neighborhoods were doing as, as uh, marches were coming through. But uh, I, I wanted to share that up here in Brooklyn, you know, the first couple of protests were like, we've been to some that were centered at, 
politically important places, you know, plazas and in front of certain uh, government buildings. But we've really been paying attention to a lot of ones that are weaving through neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that it's one of the delightful things about that is it gives a chance for the people that are staying home to like lean out their windows or come out on the stoops. And I've seen a lot of older people and families, like people with kids, just like crowded around their window and banging pots and pans. And I really love that whether that's intentional or not, it's giving a chance for the people that are also feel like they need to stay inside to still participate. Yeah. Yeah. Driving nearby and honking the horn. (laughs) There's some weird feeling of like, all right, well I'm, I'm mildly participating in some way. It's, it's, I feel like a little kid, like trapped behind the door, like can I go out and play? Uh, And not that, but you know what, in all honesty and not to like pump you up or anything, but like, that it feels good when you're marching and like every every car honk sends like a wave of excitement through the group <laughs> and it like it really does it's, it's like yes they're in it they're in it and like you know we keep stopping traffic and i always expect people to be mad that they're stopped and like no they're honking and they're pumping fists and yeah it's cool it's the the psychology for a human to go and do something that they know is right or feel is right. You know, they at least feel is right and they want to go get involved, but maybe it goes against how they were raised or their general feeling of their own kind of temperament. Like, I don't know if I could, I've had so many people in my life say something like that. Like, I don't know. And I go, but you post online, you're, you're a digital person, go get in the mix. And every single time one of those person, one of those people has been like, you know what? I made a sign and I went out there and I got in it. And this goes back previous protests, but like every, there's this weird, like rush of euphoria where they were like, I felt so alive. I felt, cause it, it's yeah. this water that you're, you're kind of stepping out onto thinking maybe the ice will crack or you're alone but then this strength in numbers when you get there, it just, there's dopamine. There's all kinds of stuff. I would imagine psychologically or a human is like, I'm not alone. This feels right. There's strength in this power of us together. There's something really great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel that personally. Um, this is not my first protest, but it's like certainly the first protest that I've been to that has lasted multiple days. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I feel that instantly. And I also feel, at least for me, I'm not necessarily the most active and nimble person online. Um, and something that's felt very freeing to me is that, you know, online, because everything's kind of preserved and lasts a long time and your tweets and your Instagram posts, whatever, like everyone kind of picks through it and inevitably you say something wrong or you get educated about this thing. And it, it can be feel really difficult. And I, I feel really excited about having an opportunity to just put my body somewhere and I don't have to, I don't really have to say anything like just being there is meaningful and that's enough. And that's like almost a relief. (laughs) It's like, I don't have, you know, I'm not, I'm not the orator that's going to, give fuel to this i'm not i'm not gonna (laughs) crystallize all these experiences in a lengthy instagram post like i just i don't have that yeah right now but being able to just show up and say yes my brain's too tired for that but my body has enough energy for this and that's what i'm gonna do feels really good it's awesome man yeah it's really cool and we uh got connected through penelope club who in her own is a very prolific artist and um 
she she spoke highly of you know your like many facets of always staying uniquely productive and prolific at creating things do you see a lot of that community there i mean how do those things tie into i feel like when you're creating like you're saying like you could post the wrong thing on twitter you could say the wrong thing but you're mostly through art is just trying a way to celebrate or represent or um Mm -hmm. comment on what it is to be alive the feelings that we feel the things that we see yeah, I, I yeah. find it so strange that so many of the people that are so much more close-minded uh, that would be the the opposite of, or the powers that be that you're sort of protesting against, they typically don't align with the arts almost at all. They they don't right. really adhere, you know, they don't align themselves with that. It's not a part of them. Everything is very rigid to them. And so mm-hmm. the, do you feel that when you're out there protesting? Is there a lot of like kind of the art scene, the people that, that feel the world a little bit more? I think, yes, um, I, you know, just anecdotally, it appears to me that there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, because of like the, the health requirements and in a sense uh, of being out, there's a lot of people in the age group that you described and in New York, like it just seems like there's a lot of artists slash service people that are out, <laughs> um, the, the, the folks who are working, a, a you know, six months ago, we're working a good bar gig so they mm-hmm. can pay for their rehearsal space to get to the. Yeah. Um, so I do think people are present. I think it's a strange time for. I mean, music is my medium, and it's it's a strange time for the community of musicians that I know because people it seemed like people were just starting to figure out how to be musically creative during <laughs> quarantine. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden we're thrust into a different space. Some people are still staying in, some people are going out and I, a lot of caution around doing something that could, they're doing something besides elevating black voices at the Mm -hmm. moment, you know? So I think, I think people are my musician friends and our casual conversations. I think people are playing, but mostly, I think uh, people are playing, but mostly kind of keeping it to themselves a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what the role, I mean, I was thinking about this before anyways, uh, but other functions of music besides self-promotion. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really unfortunate that the way the music industry is kind of headed is in this place where if you're creating, you also have to be self-promoting and like, you don't get to separate those roles out at all. And I don't think everyone struggles with this. I I think rather the people that are very good at this are have very much risen to the top, but being able to hold those two things in your hand of like encouraging or, or really loudly or prominently offering your art in a way that isn't selling it to aggrandize yourself. Yeah. I think that's a real challenge. Um, and I don't know. I don't, there's no one that I can think of at this exact moment who wasn't already an established artist who has really, I, I can't think of folks who have demonstrated the right way to do it yet. But I think people are slowly starting to quietly try. I mean, I had a conversation with a friend on the phone yesterday of like, 
what can the rock community do you know like that's not really the music of the moment per se but it is a community of musicians who care about these issues yeah um, and it was like do we share songs to get it out there or does that feel like we're stealing attention or it's strange it's, the the um one I, I was thinking the other day that like taylor swift has offered more in the form of resistance than rage against the machine has during this hell yeah and i don't <laughs> think anyone would taylor. Have. <laughs> but they, they, it feels kind of you know, we'd think of maybe like the the east was that right the east village where like dylan and all the f- sort of folk gang was you know during yeah. maybe like vietnam and stuff where you know you could you could get mm-hmm. up there and you could sing truth to power to a certain degree you could energize a group of people by the words you were playing and now for whatever reason when someone does that people are like "Eh, this has been done there's always a feeling of like (laughs) no one's gonna capture the moment no one's gonna oh this song does it It, we almost are so cynical now about that that we go "Eh, this has been done because these things have been waging for so long that the words have kind of already been said a lot so yeah i would imagine that's difficult artistically to how do you be vulnerable? How do you capture what's happening? How do you share it? How do you give that some energy so that people can be like this, this thing right here, this is what we all need to be listening to, sharing, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's strange and complicated. Also like, I, I don't know. It points to, I think some differences in songwriting, um, songwriting standards and forms from between then and now i mean it's it's very different to try to write a song for a moment or a uh you know the be the voice of a generation or whatever (laughs) it's very different to do that than it is to write something that's very very specifically about you and i think at least in kind of the indie leaning music world it's become more about like sharing lots and lots of different individual stories Mm -hmm. um and that's, I just think that's a different tool set than trying to like, how do I speak for millions of people? Yeah. The, uh, I mean, musically, like as far as music history goes, and I'm a little, um, I'm not as un- uh, informed on this, or it, this is just a loose hypothesis based on uh, limited knowledge. But what are your thoughts on the ability now for like the two worlds of say, for lack of a better term to call them maybe like whiter music and black music so you go back to like the blues and kind of folk americana those seem to mesh well it seemed like there was mm-hmm. if there was a branch that could be extended like hey we we all play this type of music let's play together and those worlds mm-hmm. knew each other better when the world was clashing and fighting it seemed like the musicians were like wow we're all friends we get i just always feel yeah. like the the artists and musicians have always had a common bond there uh, and now it, it seems like that exists to some degree, but it also feels like there are very disparate ends where maybe they're not as you couldn't really combine modern hip hop with, I don't know what's happening now, like soft rock or, or like pop, but they do kind of go together, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's, you know, genres are all, they're they're both real and not real to me you know mm-hmm. they're, they're like these very um permeated borders where like we we put them up to kind of brand and and, and group things together but ultimately you know as bubba sparks has shown there eventually <laughs> will be a country hip-hop group <laughs> you're like weird i mean yeah. i don't like it but i guess i'd like that 
it happened. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think... I mean, that, that's a good question. And I, th- I, I guess it also ties to... That the the method of making records right now involves far fewer people than it used to. Mm-hmm. So, like each record is representative, each album is representative of a way smaller community than was the case in the seventies. You know, yeah. you look at the track listing on a, or like all, all the credits on an Aretha Franklin record, and you're like, there are three drummers on here, and there like, <laughs> this one section, and this orchestra came in for the strings, and like this all the label people and all this stuff. And I think that's a lot of opportunities for kind of communal connection. And it's, uh, along those lines, especially in the world of like session players, people who are playing on a bunch of different records. I think some of that communication has really dropped off in favor of more individualized, but smaller community focused music. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe that, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe that contributes to some of that feeling of separating the world of genres a bit. But I would say like, on the other hand, like listenership is probably more all over the place than it's ever been. Yeah. Uh, last night I was, uh, what was I? I took out the trash or something like that, or he's getting a bin, something in my car. I was like in the mix a little, just like near the street. Mm-hmm. And the, I, behind me, I heard someone kind of humming and singing and then as I was walking toward my house, it was still happening behind me. And then probably five or 10 notes in or words in, I realized she was singing, um, sugar man by Rodriguez. Do you know that song? Yeah. Sugar yeah. Man. And, uh, I turned around and was like, great song. But she had her earbuds in. She, she had to take them out. Like, what's that? And I was like, great song. And then she's like, yeah. Oh, thanks. But it was more for me. There was more connection there because she was black. No reason for that. Other than like music, combined made us have a moment where we were both like this is a nice moment we both enjoy Mm -hmm. this thing so music is so connective in that way and there's you know Mm -hmm. you see like a white guy turn around and point at you and your earbuds are in you're like oh god what's this guy saying this could be bad (laughs) oh no no and then it turns out like it's positive things so that there was something so great to me in those little micro things that music gives you like that that Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not as like you're saying it's not the, the genre it's who's listening it's who's sharing in it maybe that's the thing yeah i mean i i think there's a there's a lot to that and and yeah that like you just have less and less not not a hundred percent less but i i think less and less over time do you end up with listeners who just listen to one kind of music you know Mm -hmm. like just the availability of it and the way tastes have moved and the more records get made i think the more you end up with people who are just kind of omnivorous across genres. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like Rodriguez and yes, I like NWA and yes, like, <laughs> yeah, I know comedians would talk about this and be kind of jealous or just, um, impressed by, and it's not that common. It's one of the, like, like Dave Chappelle, if you look at the audience in his tapings, it's so mixed. Mm-hmm. It's maybe it's not yeah. the most age diverse, but it's fairly close, but man, everyone is there. And yeah. you look at kind of everybody else and that it appeals to this group who they're seeing on stage. Like, cause the term representation gets used a lot these days as like, it's only positive. Well, that is a representation. Mm-hmm. I think we'd all like to see more is the crowd being 
more diverse, more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mixed. And, uh, you know, in music, I, I would imagine people feel that way too. You know, you go to certain concerts where you're like, oh, this is great. We're all being brought here. Others you might go into like, everyone here looks kind of the same. And that's not a great feeling. Yeah. 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 Um, oh gosh, I wish I could. It feels like a lifetime since I've been to a concert. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to recall it, but I know that feeling for sure where you just walk in and you look around and you're like, oh, this is all yeah. this kind of person. Yeah. And it's also funny how, you know, uh, the difference between, or like whose fault is that? Or like, where does that responsibility lie? You know, I, I, I it's, I feel like it's kind of a fun thing to joke about loving a band, but hating their fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and how, yeah, the, 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 you know, Dave Matthews band is a fun and easy target, even though total lifelong fan. I can't help it. Whatever. I grew up on it. I was going to bring them up earlier too. like them, Bruce Springsteen, the, the collection of players playing on stage is a good representation yeah. of like, this is great. It's people coming together yeah. and playing mm-hmm. because they, they all like that genre and they're all really skilled at playing in it. And they're all different. Yeah. They're all different ethnicities. And they give so much room to each other yeah. to like be themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good representation of what we want to be as society. And yet some people hear it and like, this is the lamest shit ever. Yeah. Because they like see who's wearing the DMB shirt, you know? <laughs> 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 it's just a thing it's the jam band curse (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe that maybe that's part of kind of what's happening now is like an awareness of if you were a white kid raising the suburbs around other white people your parents listen to simon and garfunkel and albums Mm -hmm. of that nature your whole life and you play that and you start a band and you all kind of like that and the people uh, that are the players in it are not like the dave matthews band or uh the e street band and saying like oh we're all different we all came from musical places that are different you're these guys so you all start playing and then your sound maybe is cool and it takes off but it attracts only other people like you you know so you end up Uh doing a show and it's all white kids and you go could you could you have the foresight there to be like we should have changed something you're only the result of what you've been exposed to so maybe mm-hmm. now people are having this realization that like i really got to start thinking outside of my own experiences and questioning you know like what what should i have done what could i have done to maybe make this a little more inclusive mhm mhm yeah no i i feel that it's it occurs to me like i i was producing and uh, music directing a record with a friend and collaborator in Austin. And, uh, you know, we were having, it, it was a record that involved, uh, hip hop elements in it. And mm-hmm. we had this day where I was, you know, feeling really upset and bothered that I was like, ah, it's the people playing on this. It's, it's a bunch of white folks. <laughs> and like, that feels weird. Yeah. And talking to a friend about it and feeling conflicted. And she gave me some really good advice, which was like, what you're doing is calling up all the best players that you know. The problem isn't like, like, like go ahead and do that. Cause doing anything else is going to be musically dishonest, mm-hmm. but do that. And then just start immediate. Let's start now hanging out at different shows and meeting other people. And then next time you just call all the best players. Yeah. You'll have a different set of numbers. Like, right. Like don't go out of your way to like, falsely diversify the situation and just start back at square one 
and like work on your community and then make a record with your community yeah yeah that makes sense and then and it's good to have you know you need resources you can count on and call and in those situations where you're not you know if you're dealing so to deal with i'm i only have white players here i better call my white friend and ask them their opinion that's not going to help but if you know someone right, that's right, right. like hey i'm someone you can talk to you can talk to me about um gentrification or, or uh cultural appropriation these things that like no matter how many white people you have in a room discussing that they're not going to get anywhere because you you mm-hmm. need to have voices that come from a different perspective to offer what is yeah. likely the the accurate uh, re- you know, response to that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Penelope was telling me that uh, just, a, and I don't want to um, embarrass you or anything, but like <laughs> she shared some of your bands. I checked out Mother Falcon, pretty great, and oh, yeah. then that was a ways. Back. And I get, and then she said, now you've transitioned and are doing Brother Bear, and I also like Brother Bear. And then she said you oh, did uh, like children's theater stuff and won a Grammy, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did that um, feel like, man? That's uh, it's just. And then, additionally, it said you were, uh, which is on hold because of the pandemic, but then going to study theology a little bit. So I'm fascinated how those things yeah. all swirl together. Yeah, man. Um, I'll, I'll I'll go in reverse order, I suppose. I, I yeah, I'm a, just finished my first year at Union Theological Seminary up in New York. Um, it is a interdenominational kind of religious school uh across the street from the jewish theological seminary up there it's very um it's not exactly just a priest training school although for sure there are lots of people there training to do that but it's really this kind of wild intense political religious studies program i'm doing i'm getting a master's in divinity but i don't intend to do ordination mm-hmm. i'm just kind of interested in kind of the social function of christianity and and kind of trying to reframe it as a much more politically radical movement than it's sort of been domesticated into do you Um, i mean so to not to guess your background here but a lot of times i feel like when people go this route they have come from like a, a religious upbringing and then kind of moved away from it had some misgivings about abandoning it completely want to go further into it and kind of mine out of that and figure out what they still truly love about it is it somewhere in that Mm -hmm. space yeah pretty pretty close i I will say you know very very much to my parents credit and and their friends like i was raised in a very liberal episcopalian church community Mm -hmm. um and just like pretty clear on the right side of history stances on all sorts of social issues and just lots of older folks who are for decades have been volunteering at this place and working in for housing justice in this venue and all, all, all that kind of stuff. So those values always seem really clear, really connected to the text for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I grew up in Texas, so that was in Austin, but I was going as a, as a youth was going to statewide events and slowly started to gather that my experience of church was not 
the norm <laughs> for a lot of folks, at least in that state. Doesn't that um, what the weird then, thing that it like it, is, it sours you? And I didn't grow up yeah. like particularly religious, but seeing people use that in the name of being exclusive toward whatever group, yeah. particularly group, groups that could use more love and more care, really turned yeah. me off. Really made me be yeah. like, you know what, the hell with them. And that's unfortunate because you were you were traveling more parallel to them. Like, wait, 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 guys, we're the same, and you're giving us a bad name. You're giving people that uh-huh. are like in my world a bad name, and that sucks. Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, it's. I have such deep empathy for everyone who's been like, well, I've seen pretty much what the church is standing for and I don't want to be a part of it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, kind of right on. I have a sense of obligation, I think, or responsibility rather. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, what we talk about in lots of different contexts of like, using your privilege like i have some privilege to have come from the community that i have and i want to loop back around to people that are maybe on the edges of that a little bit and leaning into some more conservative and exclusive and you know money worshiping weird like nationalist christendom kind of stuff uh-huh. I, I haven't i feel a sense of responsibility to kind of loop back around and talk to those people and try to try to push them in a better direction way more than i have towards bringing anyone in from the outside like i could care less about that aspect of it but it's really more about like okay well who's there who's claiming they get to speak for the bible let's have a chat about how (laughs) you really shouldn't be using the bible to justify child detention camps like that's a little bit of an insane thing for a book that's written by (laughs) enslaved people like <laughs> that's anti-government and kind of anti-private property and anti-debt and all these things like don't don't wield it that way yeah that must have been tough to watch then the tear gassing you know peaceful protesters to go take a photo uh at the church across the street from the white house with the bible such a shocking level of insult and frankly just stupidity like what a crazy thing to do that and then go and then hold this bible in front of this church you didn't ask permission to be at yeah (laughs) and you just look at his face and it's like he doesn't even know what to do with the book yeah (laughs) that's evident (laughs) right holding Um, it like it just seemed the equivalent of like if you'd never uh seen a cat before or really interacted with one and someone was like hold up the cat and you just held it by the scruff of the neck that's what that photo reminds me of like why are you holding it like that it's so strangely yeah exactly (laughs) i know i agree growing up like in in the church you know like people who are raised in that environment get very quickly familiarized with the ten commandments right Mm -hmm. and um you know, one of the one of the ones that I feel like is the most misunderstood is the all the stuff about not taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. You know, people only ever invoke that when their kid cussed a little bit, and they're like, "Don't say that." <laughs> but to me, I'm like, no. That, I feel like what that's about <laughs> is using the name and figure and shape and idea of God to say no 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 we're we're definitely on the right side for shooting the tear gas and like that's that's the offense like that's oh i never thought of it yeah that never occurred to me in that context that's fascinating that it it was definitively (laughs) in vain right there wow 
Is it weird being in the uh, the Brooklyn kind of cool music scene? And then there's this episode of Silicon Valley where one of the guys sort of comes out as like, hey, I'm, I'm in tech, but I'm also Christian. And then they're in a meeting, oh, and he and he's always oh, gay and Christian. And so they're in a meeting, yeah. and he's like, he's gay and Christian. And everyone at the meeting, their face just drops. And then afterward, the guy's like, why'd you out me? And he's like, I thought you were openly <laughs> gay. He goes, I am. I'm, you outed me as being a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no one, no one in the valley is going to respect me now. And it's like, what? Because yeah, no one, no one tolerates Christians here. And I feel like yeah. it could be yeah. that way in this sort of Brooklyn <laughs> hip underground music scene. You, is that a thing at all? Sure, ish. I mean, I have certainly in my life had plenty of interactions with folks who are who are heavy into scenes like that. That. Yeah, I, I did like uh, I studied theology in college, so I, particularly in the years after that, or when I was working as a youth director, whenever that would come up, there's no shortage of eye rolls. <laughs> and to me, you know, I I've accepted that as just you know that that's part of what i'm taking on by still insisting on referring to myself as christian like you don't you don't get to be you don't get to don that mantle without like the taking responsibility for the crusades a bit you know Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of a freaky thing to take on a little bit of responsibility for whatever religious drama other people have gone through you know if they want to put that on me i'm like okay i mean i i I have signed up to a certain extent to be a little bit of a symbol Mm -hmm. and bear the brunt of your very righteous anger and then if you still want to be in conversation i'll tell you some about what my interpret like where i'm coming from and and what my interpretation has been Mm -hmm. Um, and mostly by far those conversations go pretty well yeah at least in terms of making sure people know that we're on the same side of just about everything (laughs) yeah i would guess that you know when people go and uh petition or protest outside of a uh an abortion clinic they feel like they're in the right they feel like they're interpreting the material correctly and doing a great thing and everyone wants to live their life and feels like they are living their life by that i'm doing the hard Mm -hmm. lifting i'm doing the right thing i'm interpreting this Mm -hmm. right but people like me would see that and be like you got it wrong you got it so wrong however i would assume like people like me also proliferate like we were talking about like the cool music scene but no one would have a problem i think when you're out there marching in the streets for civil rights for people's ability to just live and exist and i would imagine the same way the abortion person feels powerful in what they're doing there must be a certain Mm -hmm. amount of pride when you're walking going like this feels like what Jesus would have done. This feels right. This feels helpful. And me or any of the cynical hipster music people would be just complete assholes to be frustrated in any way by that. We would, anyone would look at that and go, you're doing the right thing. We, we've, yeah. we've anointed you have, as doing the right thing because we also, similar to the abortion person, believe in our ideals. So we're all yeah. swirling in that. But uh when you see that people's ability to live and exist and not have their necks crushed is at stake and you go out and march to protect that, who on earth could say you're doing the wrong thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, (laughs) that should be the bare minimum, you know, (laughs) like that's the need to be out there is that's, that's the most obviously 
like there are I don't know. That's there are a million reasons to be out there, and that's part of what I appreciate so much about the movement and how diverse and decentralized it is. Because there are a lot of people coming there for different reasons. But I know that for me, like one of the reasons is these values that I was raised in and shaped by, and am still studying for a plethora of reasons. Mm-hmm. But to me, like this affirms those values. But I love you know the people that have rolled their eyes in, at me in the past about going to seminary i mean they're also out there for reasons yeah <laughs> you know like we're in the same place we're doing the same thing yeah we got here with different sets of language but that's what's beautiful about a movement definitely i mean if that's the beauty when people talk about you, know, you have the people on the more conservative side that will say religious freedom these people should be allowed to not serve these people a cake at their business and I, well, that's not religious freedom that's crazy but religious yeah, yeah. freedom meaning like if we're walking in the street and you and we're doing it out of the essence of being kind and you got there because you think there's some magical rabbit that lives in a tree and you got there because you think this and you got there because you think there was just nothing there was just a random explosion in the sky and all of this happened afterwards Mm -hmm. whatever it is we're all there maybe under different pretenses but if we're defending kindness no one should give a shit why the person is there or how they got there yeah yeah i mean one of the things we talked about um a class I took in the fall was how relatively new historically it is to think of religion as first and foremost, a set of beliefs Mm -hmm. and how that's really tied to post enlightenment, like Western Europe thinking. But prior to that, looking at texts from kind of middle ages and all these different, uh, just kind of all over, religion was treated so much more as a set of rituals and practices more than how am I going to articulate God as a father and a son and a Holy ghost? Like it's mm-hmm. that all kind of came later, but for hundreds of years, Christianity and not to mention all sorts of other uh, religions that still maintain a pretty ritual focused identity. But even, you know, in the before, like pre-enlightenment, it was really just about practice. And I, I think of that a lot now of, I care way less about how you articulate and define God or not God or the energy between people. And I care way more about, are you showing up for your neighbor? Like, yeah. that's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the... the the need to interpret uh, the the book correctly seems to dominate certain people's um, hierarchy of what's the most important. And I would say Uh I find it much more important to just exhibit the values in the book accurately, meaning be nice, Uh think of others, treat, do unto others, et cetera. And it's fascinating to me how humans could have a different set of priorities with all of those things. Because we have to have some level of empathy and go, okay, well, you've interpreted this maybe because of how you were raised, but you think the most important thing is this one little passage or this one excerpt from that book Mm -hmm. and that dominates Mm -hmm. your whole life. That's so you could, you could ignore a homeless person or you could beat up a gay person because of that passage. How you would justify that is beyond me. It's incomprehensible in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, there's a really, I think the reality is that Christianity in America has, whether intentionally by bad actors or, 
you know, slowly over time, unconsciously. But Christianity in America has really carved out a lot of space for rigidity of beliefs and super looseness about actions regarding money, regarding care, regarding your neighbor, and just whittle down the rigidity around actions to sexual morality and <laughs> like one or two other single issues mm-hmm. like abortion or yeah, what have you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, grow, growing up around, I assume music was a part of that. Were you like a I love when someone's story is like, oh, I started singing or I started playing in the church. Because there's always something that yeah. comes out of that musically where like, one, you, you're always getting together and playing. That's important. Always be practicing. But two, yeah. like, there's, there's, a, there's something so specific about church music where it seems to create really precise players. You know, there's not a lot of like, <laughs> sloppiness in it. You've got to be prepared for no, that. No, Totally. And, you know, I think some of that is in the the nature of the music that's written. Like the church I grew up in had a couple of different hymnals, but mostly we went through one that was just old English organ hymns, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and there's those are all so mathy and just, you know, they are kind of rigid in a way. And you can open up the book and it has a couple of harmony lines on it. So you're sort of, at least for me, like once you get comfortable with the lead, you're like on verse three and you're like okay now i'm gonna try the alto harmony and see if i can follow along and if i mess up everyone's gonna know but i was gonna care because it's a space <laughs> um but like the notes are right there um, yeah and yeah of course like getting together once a week to sing with people that you might not know very well like who does that outside of right church or religion <laughs> yeah that's certainly not part of my secular life although i wish it was I know. Wouldn't that be great? I bet there are um, a lot of coffee shops. There's probably a posting somewhere like, hey, come pl-, and people would see that, you know, like a posting that said, hey, meet up with me. I'm a stranger. Come bring your instrument and yeah, play. And people yeah. are like, I don't want to be killed in your basement. There's just no way people are going to go for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, heads up. I probably got about 10 to 15. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, we can um, we can start putting the wheels down on... I feel like in this brief time, we got to know you. It's great to, when you get to know someone based on their actions, you know, rather than just like an interview of like, where are you from and what were your grades yeah. like in school? I think it's just... It's so fascinating that you're... Uh, getting out there and, and getting into it. If, if I knew nothing else, like I just think that if anyone that is doing that currently has my full respect, I just think, you know, even if they were like, I, I can't, that's the thing. No one who's doing this is likely a fire and brimstone, old Testament, burn the gaze type person. They just, they're not out there doing this. So the people that are sitting at home and justifying their beliefs are really probably being put to a test right now or at a crossroads of like, People are protesting for peace, for equality, for humans to be treated well. All the things that Jesus and any other you know, figurehead of that type stood for. What am I doing? Why am I staying at home? Well, it's because of this. I, you could justify yeah. this. I just don't get it. So, um, artistically, like how important in your life um, is that notion that kind of like are you making music because you want people to feel something anything or a specific thing is it different song to song meaning like oh i want mm. i want them to feel this heartache that i felt from this breakup or i want them to feel just um, a looseness and a carefreeness to just go on being etc yeah i mean it's a good question i i, I would say i always I almost always make music with 
an audience in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a method, you know, I, I find that when I'm writing only for me, which sometimes I do, mm-hmm. um, but it, it yields a very, very different kind of product. Um, I would say on, you know, to tie back to growing up singing in church and also having parents who were really like Pete Seeger folk. Oh yeah. Um, I bought a car one time that had a CD changer in it. And one of the CDs, I didn't know who it was. I just listened to it on repeat. It was a live Pete Seeger concert. The best guy, the best guy. So good. He was, he was, taking time out of the concert like to to acknowledge black voices and black players mm-hmm. and the importance of their mm-hmm. impact on music and just it was when you listen to it you're like this was probably in 2017 and i was like man this is pretty i had no idea just listening to the cd like i wonder when this was recorded 10 days ago two years ago <laughs> <laughs> to find out it was that uh-huh. long ago like oh this guy was progressive like he was a cool dude so anyway I love PC. I yeah, think that's no, a great totally. Influence. And 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 that spirit of inclusivity and music being for the people uh, has really affected me. And also the like the importance. Not that this is the only way to music, or, or the only. Not that this is the only way to make music. But my desire and intent and goals have really been shaped by the idea that anything I write should be playable and singable by people besides myself Mm -hmm. and i certainly listen to music that is not made with that spirit in mind but that that for me has been an ongoing guiding principle yeah um not that i see it becoming not that i see it becoming anything i've written becoming like a protest anthem but still like the the acts just trying to say like this should be singable and if someone likes it they should be able to sing along with it yeah quickly at least um, have the option there for like <clears throat> if yeah. the masses want to pick this up go for it it's available it's accessible yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, they, some of the, some music. I mean, maybe it's all <clears throat> replicable. If you have like a really, you know, some of those beats that are like, mm-hmm. like that's really mm-hmm. tough for a group of humans together to replicate. But you know, stomping, clapping, snapping fingers, even people that yeah. can't grab the sheet music and replicate it, largely we can pick up on a rhythm or a beat, and we can like in a group with maybe one person has a single drum and you go, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. We're singing that song. So it's always accessible. Mm -hmm. And yet there's something about when the notes are playable, that feels more like this could transcend our generation and go on for like a thousand years from now, people could play a song and people are still interpreting Mozart and Bach and things like that. That's interesting. I had this project that, um, I like started and kind of dropped the ball on because Mother Falcon started touring a lot. And I just was in this place of when I come home, I'm, I'm just going to relax and not do big things. But for a little bit, right before that started, I, I, I had begun a project with my music community in Austin where I had become really concerned that we wouldn't have a kind of canon of songs that we all know how to play like i know so many players that don't play together and we don't we don't jam the way like other genres would or Mm -hmm. we don't play jazz where you can sit down and you know look at the changes and there's a way to jump in and i was really missing that communal aspect so i had a project where i would get 
10 of my friends, singer songwriters to write out chord charts and lyric sheets for their song, for one of their songs that they felt would be very easily learnable. And then one cover song by anyone that mm-hmm. they also felt would be easily learnable. We'd get those 10 people plus whoever, but those 10 folks would bring over their instruments and I would print out a bunch of, uh, like binders and stapled together sheets of paper and everything for everybody. And we just do an alphabetical order. And it was like, whoever's the first song up, if it's an original or your cover, you're going to teach it. And then we're going to play it together. I love that. We would have these like three hour music parties playing (laughs) and singing. And it was, I thought that was really special and cool. My hope was that eventually we would, it would start to be clear, like which songs, whether covers or originals were the favorites. And then we'd be like, okay, we play that one every week. Let's do it. Yeah. But then I was on the road and, I love the concept of that so much though because and it speaks to like you being out there in the streets that things bring us together music is a huge thing that brings us together passions pursuits justice these things bring us together where like you're on the street it's not like you called everyone that's there all these people have a similar Mm -hmm. interest to you and you're walking along being like we all feel equally as passionate we're all getting as much out of this maybe some for more uh or more for some i should say but to do that i just love the concept of that musically like we should all be coming together and sharing in things and enjoying it, having fun. That's what humanity's the concerts, everything we've ever invented has been for that. The fact that we have so much strife and war and disconnect is frustrating because we really make efforts to not do that. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, at the risk of sounding like a weird, grumpy old person, but historically for a very long time, it used to be that music only even got loud when more people were playing and singing it. Mm-hmm. Way you could hear something really loud was if a hundred people could sing it together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Pre amplifiers. And yeah, you had to, if you were in a concert hall and there was just one person, you're like, again, I can't hear anything. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Like it's had to be learnable so that more people could jump on because we've always loved loud music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Matt, is it Puckett? Is that how yeah, you say last name? Yeah. Puckett. Okay. Like Kirby mm-hmm. Puckett. Okay. I want to do exactly two T's. Um, what, sh- what can you, what are you, are you promoting anything currently? Like brother bear getting out there these days? Like when this is over, um, concerting is yes allowed? And no, I mean, I, I will say, um, I have two albums kind of done and ready to release, but it's become very unclear when and how is the right way to put things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly during during pandemic times, it was clear that we weren't going to have release shows for anything. So I was like, well, we'll wait maybe until we can do a show. And now this is happening, and I'm certainly not taking attention away from the movement to promote like a breakup album or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but eventually, theoretically, later this year, um, there'll be two albums coming out. One is uh, just a Matt Puckett album. It'll be under my name. Cool. Um, called This Is Ending. And the other is sort of an indie garage rock collaborative record with a friend called I Am Very Small. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So eventually, some, some someday this year, those will be out there for the people. But cool. Can, they can wait. <laughs> I think there's going to be kind of a cascade like that, which will be fun when... You know, it seemed like the pre-protests, there was a, hey, we're all stuck at home. We need more Mm -hmm. content, for lack of a better term. 
And then now it seems like people are enthused. I'm seeing artists, friends who were like, I can't draw. I don't know what's going on during this pandemic. I don't feel inspired. And now suddenly like mm-hmm. there's, there's a passion behind it. They're drawing a lot. I think yeah. there's going to be a wave of stuff coming out when, when life settles back down to, to some degree. People will be like, oh, I made this when I was yeah. infuriated and it's got a lot of emotion behind it. Here you go. And that'll be, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, Matt, this was great, man. Thanks again. And um, do you mind if I get a photo of you real quick? Yeah, Dave. Totally. Thanks, buddy. I look ridiculous, but... <laughs> nah, you look great. Here we go. What's up? Cool. Thanks, buddy. Well, <laughs> get out get out, out there on the streets and uh, keep fighting the good fight. And um, hopefully we'll stay in touch. Maybe chat again later. This is really fun. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Penelope yeah, yeah, for putting in us in touch. Yeah, get in touch anytime. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Sure. Thanks, man. All right, stay safe out there. Thanks so much, Dave. Take care. Later. Bye. I think these birds chirping add a nice little element. Nice and calming. Well, hopefully Matt's out there. Depending on when this is, it sounds like he's out multiple hours per day, almost every day. And hopefully you're out there as well, if you can. Be safe. Again, we have a pandemic going on. Um, but some things supersede other things when it comes to the critical importance of liberty and the ability to just live your life and not be uh, killed by those in authority. And um, definitely thinking about George Floyd and um, Maude Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and so many before and so many when maybe the video cameras were not on or we didn't have social media to spread the word and say, hey, why is no one talking about this and get the word out? So hopefully this ends and hopefully we can do something to help. And if you're listening saying, hey, we, I want to hear these voices. Well, I'd love it if you help me out. Put me in touch with people. Uh, if you're listening saying like, I could share a story, get in touch. Let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's, let's uh, spread the word and let's try to be helpful. And again... Um, if you are trying to educate yourself, I'll try to put some links to those things, but I would highly recommend 13th by Ava DuVernay. I think it's just really, really well done and kind of, um, illuminates overall, especially critical talking points. You might get yourself in a conversation with someone who has a viewpoint that's, you know, defending things or I don't know, trying to pretend that this doesn't exist. 13th will very, um, um, in an itemized sort of way, go through and explain just how it is and how it's been and why it's like that and and potentially what we can do to uh, combat that a little bit. So anyway, uh, listen to black people, support and donate to Black Lives Matter if you can. And thanks for listening to this show. I hope this took your mind off it a little bit. It's, It's more and more challenging these days to do episodes that are just about science and just about art without obviously incorporating Uh, these historic moments that are happening around us. It would be kind of strange to ignore them. We're really living through a cultural turning point in a number of ways. I'll keep trying to navigate through that the best that I can. If you have some feedback, I'd love to hear it. I just trust that this community of of listeners to this show is doing things for the side of progress and justice, liberty, etc. All these words that we, we... we hear, but we don't really know when they're happening. I think now we've got a, ver- a very uh, clear view that we can, in some ways, inform or influence 
how the outcomes of those turn out. So thanks to those of you who do. Uh, we're spending or sending good energy as always to Jean Hospod. So far, so good in her recovery, even throughout a pandemic, going through a double mastectomy, uh, has so far been able to do it without um, jeopardizing her health with COVID-19. That's great. Uh, And then Ashley and Dan down in Australia, always thinking of them. And so hopefully you are as well. Send some good thoughts their way. Humans crawling around on this planet, seven and a half what are we, nearly 8 billion at this point? You know, our, this hasn't been a great period for uh, growth of that species, but with the WHO and efforts to come up with a vaccine, I think we'll still continue to be quite a, a huge number of little mammals walking around on two legs and hopefully being good to each other, being kind, regardless of skin tone or how much melanin you have, what your complexion is like culturally where you're from what sort of whatever traditions you like things you celebrate as you heard talking with matt about uh different religious views you should be allowed any and all of those just be nice just be nice to each other well certainly at the end of this episode i probably should play some some hip-hop music something that uh resonates and speaks to the uh the condition and I'm not going to, because I mentioned that song, Sugar Man, and for whatever reason, I always feel like when we mention a song in an episode, it's in the back of people's heads, like whether they go, I haven't heard that, or, oh man, now I'm thinking, and I'm only thinking about that song. It is a great song, and I play it because that little moment I had that I mentioned where that woman had to take out her earbud and go, what's that? And I said, great song. And then we both kind of nodded our heads like, she goes, oh yeah, it is a great song. And that's what music can do. It's the thing that unites us. We're just this collection of molecules, these atoms that are vibrating in a certain frequency. We all have our own. And yet, when we hear certain beats or melodies or rhythms, it ignites those little atoms within us. And we all kind of nod our heads or tap our foot to the same rhythm. The whole universe seems to be in some sort of weird frequency of its own that we're all tapping into at a different, in a different method or whatever. But music is the thing that unites us in that somewhere or another sugar man also if you haven't seen searching for sugar man it's the um sixto rodriguez story ignored here in the united states and then south africa during apartheid with mass censorship of his music uh it became a sensation he was like elvis there and so the documentary is about that in which anyone that creates anything you're kind of hoping at some point somewhere is some group of people that enjoys it and to find out years and years later, as he like worked construction and just sort of gave up on his ambition to be a musician, lo and behold, behind the scenes, people were getting really into it. So if you haven't seen Searching for Sugar Man, I highly recommend it. And you'll, you'll hear music that was just ignored for decades right here in the States. That's fantastic. So this is from the album Cold Fact. It's called Sugar Man. Title track. The title track. I hope you like it. Be good to each other out there. Keep fighting the good fight. And thanks for stopping by the Space Game. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary Jane Sugar Man Met a 
false friend on a lonely, dusty road. Lost my heart when I found it. It had turned to dead black coal. Silver magic ships you carried. Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary Jane, Sugar Man, you're the answer that makes my questions disappear. Sugar Man, 'cause I'm weary of those double games I hear. Turn to death like cold. 